0: Hey, before I get started uh, with the message this morning, I'd like to take a minute to pray uh, with some of you people here. This is August 19th, which means that school's going to be firing up. I think it might have already started for some, but definitely, I think the local Southwest uh, City is starting up this week. So, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to invite, first of all, anybody who's still in this part who's a student, uh, middle school, high school, college... Uh, If you're a student, come on up. We want to pray for you. Come on up and bring your parents. Even if you're a college student, bring them along. Come on. They still love you, believe it or not. I know they sent you away, but they still love you. Come on up. I'd like to ask anyone who's an educator, whether you're a a teacher in a school system or a homeschooler, Any way connected with the education system, in an administrative function, anything. Come on up. Come on. We're going to have to fill in this hole here. Come on. Come right on up. We just want to ask God's blessing on you guys. Come on. Father God, I pray now in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus for these young people, I pray for their parents. I pray for the teachers. I pray for the administrators. I pray for anybody standing here right now. I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll bless them, that you'll take up more space in their hearts right now as they get ready to go back to school. I pray, God, that your light will shine brightly inside of their hearts and they'll know how much you love them. I pray that you'll show them how worth Loving they are. And that the light of Jesus will shine powerfully inside of their hearts and shine through them to the world around them. Father, I pray that this year is going to be a great year, a great year of blessing and a great year of expanding their understanding of your love for them and your plans for them. I pray for these parents I pray for these educators. I pray for wisdom and blessing. I pray for patience. I pray, Father, that they'll know when to speak and when to be silent, when to be firm and when to be gentle. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit on every one of them now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great year. Well, I never really thought it would happen. I never really thought, I really never, ever, ever thought I would hear disparaging remarks from people at the vineyard. I mean, truly disparaging remarks on the basis of what a person chooses. To wear. (laughs) I I guess I really maybe should have expected it, and I understand now, (laughs) that, that my clothing choices today may seem objectionable to you. It didn't really occur to me that my sandals would be a problem for you. <laughs> that somehow they wouldn't be fitting of church. Uh, it's the only thing I can think of as these remarks were made to me. And the reason I thought of that is because of a terrible experience I had in a hospital elevator about two years ago. This is a true story. I was, I was going to visit someone in the hospital and uh, it was at Mount Carmel West, and I got in the tower elevator, and I was on my way, and it was just one other person in the elevator, and I wasn't paying that much attention to them really, but I had my Bible in my hand, and I was kind of leaning up against the wall, waiting to get to my floor. And this other person said to me, "Are you a pastor?" And I said, "Well, as a matter of fact, I am." And this—the next words out of his mouth—he was all kind of put together, and he also was holding a Bible which I hadn't noticed previously. And he said, your church lets you make hospital visits dressed like that. I said, dressed like what? He said, you're wearing sandals. I I mean, you guys, I was stunned. I was stunned. I was totally, it wasn't funny to me. It was, it was heartbreaking to me. I, I didn't even know, I didn't even have a comeback. I mean, I, I didn't do the, I'm just dressing like Jesus, dude, or anything like that. All these things that I thought of later, you know. I, I was so stunned by his judgment against me. On the basis of what he saw, I was so stunned by that, that I didn't know what to say. And it breaks my heart to think that Christians are out there doing that to other people. To think that anybody would ever look at the outside of a person, anything about the outside of a person, and make a judgment call. That breaks my heart. We are midway through a series here at the Vineyard called Extravagant Welcome." Pastor Tony did a, just a great job of bringing the second message in the series last week. I love I love his heart. I love I love his content. I love You know, I just I just love him already. My emphasis on extravagant welcome right now is based on a sense of leading I have I've always had from the Lord about this church and that you know, we have a real simple call in this church, don't we? We're not a complicated place. We're not fancy bells and whistles, slick production, seamless services. We're not, we don't even think about those things. <laughs> we have a simple call in this church, just a few things we feel God's called us to, and we're not going to try to copy from others so that we can somehow be like them. We're just going to do what we feel God's called us to do. And one of them is that we would be a place of unusual welcome. And maybe just a few of you in this room will remember nearly 20 years ago when we were meeting in the basement of the Hogue Presbyterian Church, and we, uh, we were just, there were just a few of us in the church then, and we were rent- borrowing places to meet and all kinds. And I remember a night that we were worshiping God, and this prayer came over me that God would always give us a broad door, just a big door on the front of this church, a big door. And it wasn't because we wanted a lot of people to come, but we wanted a lot of different kinds of people to be able to come. That there isn't a funnel on our door to shape everybody into the same thing, but it's a broad door that comes in and says, why don't you come in and be a part of our fellowship and see what Jesus wants to do in your life. And so I was motivated by this sense of extravagant welcome And so we're going to spend a few weeks talking about that because I think it's the call of the Lord on us and how we can increase our sense of extravagant welcome authentically from our hearts. And today I'd like to continue the series by calling us to an even more specific application of it, and it's the application of something called mercy. Mercy, And Pastor Tony read for us just a few moments ago, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And the context of the book of James is that it was written by someone named James who happened to be the blood brother of our Lord Jesus. I guess he'd have been a half-brother, same mother, different fathers. But can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> Where does that ever stop? But so much of the book of James is a reflection of James' own personal journey as the brother of Jesus and what that must have been like. Let's check it out. Let's look at some of these, take some stops here and see what God wants to say to us. It starts out, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. As Catch this. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm talking to you who believe in Jesus Christ. I'm qualifying my audience because you guys are supposed to be different. As a result of believing in Jesus Christ, then he's going to say what he's going to say. That we're meant to be different. There were three dominant groups of Jews in society at the time in which James was written. They were the Pharisees, they were the Sadducees, and they were the Zealots. These were the three primary subgroups of Jews, and they were constantly in conflict with each other. Constantly. And I don't mean just sort of meeting in different places. They, they would meet at different times in the synagogue. They would meet, they were politically engaged in conflict, so much so that the zealots would even be violent toward the Sadducees. It was into this mix. That Jesus came this is how godless Israel had become they had taken up arms against one another on the basis of this or that mostly political and so into into this mix this new sect emerges this was written to a Jewish audience. But as believers, he's saying, as you Jews who now believe understand that Jesus Christ is Messiah, long-awaited Messiah, as you Jews who understand that we are now living in the messianic age because Jesus has come, we are a fourth group in this mix. They were sometimes called Christians, they were sometimes called the way, the followers of the way, because of Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so James is starting by saying, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, here's one of the ways that our Lord wants us to be different. Then he goes on in verse 2. He says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. Comes into your meeting. The literal translation for the word meeting is actually synagogue. Suppose a man comes into your synagogue... And you may not yet have discovered that in Jerusalem was the temple, and then every city in which Jews lived, they had a local meeting place that wasn't the temple, but it was a meeting place called the synagogue, still exists in that form today. The synagogue was the local congregation of Jews who had come together for the the celebration of the rituals of being Jews. And so he said, he's saying, suppose a man comes into your synagogue... The synagogue, with all of this conflict, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. The synagogue synagogue was also a place, you've got to understand, that it was a multifunctional place. The temple was not, but the synagogue in the local community served not only as the place for the Saturday, Saturday Sabbath worship, but it was also the town hall. It was the town hall in which the municipal uh, uh, cases were heard with the rabbi serving as the judge. So they would bring their cases before the rabbi. So he says, supposing a man comes into your synagogue, not necessarily your gathering even, but he's he's referring perhaps to a judicial setting. Supposing someone comes into the synagogue and you say, oh, you notice something about him. You notice that they're wealthy. And you say, you come up here. He says, if you show special attention, you know something's going to go wrong here, right? If you show favoritism, you know that's a big if. Something bad is going to follow. If you do this, he says, if, verse 3, you show special attention to the man wearing the clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not done something terrible? If you say to the rich man, oh, please come, we're going to show you special favor, special attention, but say to the poor man, Whatever. I think we're in grave danger in the vineyard of reverse discrimination. Grave danger. I think we're taking pride in our humility. We dress humbly. We're casual. We're relaxed. And I think we're in danger, we're living in danger, that if a man walks in wearing a suit and tie, we go, he must be new. If a woman walks in having decided to dress in a way that, you know, in her mind is more formal and honors God, we say, oh, I wonder what, they just haven't got it yet. And we discriminate in the opposite direction. I had strongly considered actually wearing my dress suit today as my object lesson. It's actually hanging in my office But I chose at the last moment to be more offensive (laughs) and wear my sandals. Do you see what's gone wrong? Do you see what's potentially going wrong here? That if we make any judgment, any, any judgment about a person on the basis of what we see on any part of the outside, we've gone wrong. We've gone terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. We've become, the Bible says, judges with evil thoughts. This would have been of particular significance to the hearers because they would have pictured the judge, the evil judge. You know, some of the better judges in this day would actually provide common clothes for both the plaintiff and the defendant. And they would... require them to dress outside the courtroom and come in so that they would look at them as the same. And this was the beginning of the robe, actually. Because the robe is meant to, to, to take away any possibility of discriminating one against another on the basis of the outside. And so the better judges would provide some mechanism of this that they themselves could not tell who was rich and who was poor. And so he's saying this, if you do this, You've become like those evil judges who sit and they let the poor come in and slander you and take away your lives. Or they let the rich come in and take away your lives. And he's saying, do we really want to become judges at all? Let alone judges with evil thoughts. I mean, Jesus said, judge not and be not judged, right? Jesus said, my invitation into my kingdom, into my society is that you become non-judges. Let alone judges with evil thoughts. In verse 8, he says, if you really keep the royal law, hold on to that, found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. He's giving you a remedy. He's saying this is the law of the land. Now, if you keep the royal law, what was the royal law? The royal law was always considered to be the law of God, the kingly law that was always above the law of the land, no matter who might be in power now at this time, the Romans were in power, so Roman pa- Roman law, but there were times when the when the royal law, the law of God, would call a person to defy the Roman law, and they suffered the consequences for sure. Some of you remember the Old Testament account of Daniel. But A law was made over him that he could not pray. So what did he do? He went to his room and he opened the window so everybody could see him pray, right? And there are times when the royal law calls us to defy the law of the land. In which case, you have to suffer the consequences. He's saying, you're not going to get out of trouble by saying, well, I'm following the royal law. But here's what James is saying, that if you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, make no distinction between them and you, But love them with all of your heart. Then you're going to be doing right. He's saying if you do it this other way, if you sit around and go, huh, and make any judgment based on external observation, you have become evil. You are participating in evil. And that's how close evil is. You look around and you go, they're too skinny, they're too fat, they're too tall, they're too short. Did you see what they drove in in? That wreck, that monstrosity hummer, whatever, whatever causes you to do that shows that you are this far from evil all the time. And what the scriptures are saying is it just doesn't matter that there's a royal law. Verse 12 says, a law that gives freedom. Participants in the royal law are free people, we're free from the need to judge one another. On the basis of anything external, we're free. Makes us peculiar. The law of the gospel, listen, gives freedom, not restriction. The law of religion makes restrictions. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't drink that. Don't, stop. And the Bible is clear. Those are, that's not the royal law. The law of God brings freedom. And then that famous verse 12, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Wow, mercy triumphs over judgment. Whoa. There were notable examples of rabbis in this day who were known to be more merciful than they were judging. They were wise rabbis who found a way to solve the problem and extend mercy at the same time. And so much of the lore in Hebrew society at this time was centered around these rabbis, you know, these judges who could act, who could solve the problem and yet show mercy at the same time. And so one of the phrases was mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy when mercy can be shown instead of judgment and the problem can be solved, that's a great day. Well, with respect to our condition before God, we are in deep trouble without Christ. But because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is extended to us, and the problem of our sin is completely solved by the sacrifice of Jesus. So he's the example of this great judge. But a core quality of being a follower of the way was to be a person of mercy. And they would say, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have what? Love one for another. This was the mark of the followers. This is why they were different than the Sadducees, different than the Pharisees, different than the Zealots. Because they were characterized by this merciful, merciful love. And the reason they were is because mercy is what lives at the heart of the gospel message, yes? I mean, God could judge us. God has every right to judge me in my sin, yes? But the Bible says in Romans six twenty three that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has shown us mercy. So at the heart of the gospel is the expression of the mercy of God toward us. So at the heart of our gospel needs to be the expression of mercy toward others, not judgment. Is this making sense? Now, does that mean that there's never a time for judgment in the church? Not at all. Jesus said in Matthew 18, there's a time that you're going to have to make some very difficult judgments. Paul said, there are times when we have to make difficult judgments in the church. On rare occasions, even today, those of us who are called to be leaders must take on the unwelcome task of making judgments In loving protection of the well-being of the flock. It's not anything we ever take lightly. We lose sleep, we pray, we pray, we make every attempt to reconcile. But there are times, unfortunately, that judgments have to be made. But that's the rare exception. In general, the church of Jesus Christ is meant to thrive as a house of severe mercy, not judgment. So, the core message of the gospel is that it's the Father's heart to show us this kind of severe mercy with a kind of equal regard and reckless abandon. You know, I just see God just being so wasteful with his mercy, don't you? He's just throwing it out there so that whoever is stirred to turn to him and say, I receive your mercy, enters into relationship with him through his son Jesus Christ. This is the core of the gospel. The the core of the gospel message, listen, is not, I'm going to show you how to straighten up and fly right. The core of the gospel message is, we don't know how to fly at all. So the mercy of God comes. It's an invitation to freely receive the full brunt of the incredible mercy of a holy God. So this is the heart of the gospel. So this then becomes the heart of our presentation of the gospel to others. This is who we are meant to be. Men and women and young people of mercy, not judgment. And many of you have been the unhappy recipients of a judgmental presentation of the gospel. Yes? And it perhaps shamed you into some, okay, I'll ask Jesus into my life. But it didn't live, did it? It wasn't alive. It birthed nothing but pain and failure and religion. It didn't birth the relationship that you see alive in others. The core of the gospel is mercy. And so our core presentation of the gospel is always mercy, never judgment. So at the core of the extravagant welcome thing I'm talking about, people, is living from a heart of mercy. I want to bring you today to living from a heart of mercy. Authentically. When we as believers come to live from a heart of mercy, we will automatically be an extravagantly welcoming church. I don't want to teach you how to be extravagantly welcoming. I don't want to show you a method. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him. Man, who hates that? Raise your hand. Yeah, me too. Creeps me out. It has to be authentic. Or it's just method. And method just leads to stale religion. Something has to happen on the inside of our hearts. I really have no interest in trying to engineer this place into a friendly church. Here's how we're going to be a friendly church. I want to introduce you to Jesus and let his mercy overtake you so that you become an extravagantly welcoming person because of your appreciation of the welcome of the Father from your own heart. So at the core of participating in extravagant mercy is being a person with a heart of mercy, not judgment. At the core of being a person who has a heart of mercy is being a person who has substantially experienced the mercy of God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you forgive others of their sins, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't, he won't. That blew me out. It's like it sounds conditional, doesn't it? But you've got to listen to what Jesus is saying. And he's saying... When you experience the forgiveness of God, when you truly experience the forgiveness of God, you will become a forgiving person. And if you're not a forgiving person, you should wonder about how well you've experienced the forgiveness of God. Jesus told this parable about a guy who owed somebody a whole bunch of money, and the guy came and forgave him of his debt. Just said, okay, we're cool. And this guy went out and found the first person who owed him money and began to choke him and say, Pay me my money! The guy who had been forgiven of his debt. The point of that parable is not that this guy's doing it wrong. It's that he, he had not been, had been embraced by the debt that had been forgiven. He had been embraced by the grace of the one he owed the debt to. And I think many otherwise good church-going people do not seem to have encountered the embrace of God's grace in this way. I know one pastor I met in an elevator one day that I just have to wonder, do you even know him? I mean, like man, reverend, whatever, most eminence. Do you even know him? That you would strike up a conversation with someone in that way. My heart didn't break for me. I think I even had good jeans on. (laughs) My heart wasn't breaking for me. It was breaking, really wasn't breaking for him. It was breaking for the people who would get in the path of someone like that. Who says, oh, I know what it means to be a Christian. I don't want any part of it. I think the whole world is saying, please look at me. Please just look at me. I think the whole world is saying, would you just look through what you see on the outside? Would you look at me? Whatever you see on the outside that causes you to think you know what's going on on the inside, whether I'm happy or sad, would you please look through that and look at me? Would you not stop at the first layer? Would you look at me? I think the whole world is saying, would you look through all the way to my mercy spot? Because I think every person in the world has a spot on their heart I like to think of as the mercy spot. That's the place where you can put mercy on that person. It could be a little different for all of us depending on where we've been, what's happened. But every person on the planet, I'm persuaded, has a spot on their heart called the mercy spot. And I just, see, I just see everybody, the whole world, saying, would you please look through the outside? Would you see if you can make your way to my mercy spot? And show, show me mercy. Would you look through my clothes? Even my sandals today. Would you look? Can you see my mercy spot? No, don't answer too quickly. Can you look through my clothes? Can you look through my obviously strikingly handsome features? Can you... Can you look through my confidence? I am not afraid to be here. But can you look through that? Can you look through, can you look through anything that you might appreciate about me? Anything that you may have decided is a good thing or a strong thing. Can you look through that? And can you see that I have a mercy spot just like you do? That I have a heart that is crying for mercy. That disparaging remarks hurt me the way they hurt you in exactly the same way. Can you see that? Because that's what it means not to show favoritism. And uh That's what Karen and I try to do with every person that we meet. Admittedly, some of you make it harder than others. (laughs) But this is the thing that Karen and I try to do with every person we meet. Look past the outside. Doesn't matter. It doesn't make a nickel's worth of difference. Karen and I were just telling somebody at dinner this week, we've never been good at hero worship. And it's kind of caused us some problems along the way, you know, when some great speaker from some buddy comes, and we're like, yeah, whatever, you know. Put their pants on one leg at a time like everybody else, right? And they have a mercy spot. In spite of, by the grace of God, whatever cool things are happening around them, they're the same broken person they're the same sinner saved by grace as I am or you are or some of you are yet to become so we've never been good at hero worship because we've always just somehow intuitively I guess or probably by the spirit of God been looking for the mercy spot in everybody we meet maybe you're an accomplished professional or maybe you struggle to keep a job it just doesn't matter to us Because that's not what we're looking at. We're looking for the mercy spot. Maybe you're happily married or several times divorced. It just doesn't matter to us. Because we're looking for your mercy spot. Maybe you're the chief of police or just got out of jail. It doesn't matter to us. Because we're looking for your mercy spot. Maybe you've figured out how to read your Bible and pray and worship God every day, or maybe you're still trying to sort out if any of this is even true. It doesn't matter to us. We're looking for your mercy spot. We're not looking for what's on the outside. We're looking for your mercy spot. That's why you are all equally extravagantly welcome at the vineyard because none of the outside stuff makes any difference any it doesn't get you anything and it doesn't hurt you it just doesn't make any difference and I was reflecting this week on how did Karen and I get this way And I've decided we got this way by living from a place of understanding that we are two of God's children from whom very much has been forgiven. And from whom very much continues to be forgiven. How do you get your eyes of mercy? I think by presenting yourself freely to God. And to experience this humbling and liberating reality in your life. And letting him, inviting him to look through all the good and bad stuff on the outside and say, I need the blood of Jesus right now to touch my mercy spot and make me fully aware that I am fully forgiven by the grace of God. Amen. Why don't we have some uh, prayer ministry people come on up and let's pray for some people this morning. Why don't we spend a few minutes in ministry this morning? So if you're a person who maybe even just yesterday was in my prayer ministry training class and would like to come up and get your feet wet, come on up, and you can make some pears on the side here. and uh, We want to give you an opportunity to receive prayer for anything that might be going on in your life. Okay? So it could be anything. Maybe it's something I'm talking about. Maybe there's something stirring inside you right now that says... I want that. I want, I want to experience the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God in my life. And uh, these people will be able to help you with that. But it could be anything. It could be some issue you're facing in your life, something personally, something in your mind, something in your body, anything at all, something in relationships. And these people, here's what's going to happen. You're going to walk up to them, and they're going to ask you this question. What question are we going to ask them? What are we praying about? What are we praying about? They're not going to judge you. They're just going to say, what are we praying about? And then they're going to help you in prayer. Okay? Church, let's stand together and worship God. And feel free to come for prayer or respond to God in any way that your heart is stirred.